G'day everyone, my name is Stephen. Everyone say hi Stephen. <laughs> Very good to see you. I'm the uh, kids pastor here at the city and it's my great privilege to welcome everyone here once again. Uh, and what we get to do, we get to have this time in the service where we all get to learn from the Word of God together. No matter if we're really young or whatever we want to call ourselves up the other end, we can all learn from the Word of God together. And right now, as a church in here, we're looking through the book of John. And this is John, the book of signs. And today, we get to have a wonderful story told of many people who were fed. So I thought the best way to do this is to get some acting friends. I'm going to get my friends up in a moment because first, I'm going to need some audience participation. So you all are looking like a mighty good crowd today. So you are going to play the crowd. Well done. And, and, and you have a line. So your line, I will cue you. I'll, this is what it's going to be and I will tell you what it is again later. Repeat after me. Surely this is the prophet, surely this is the prophet, who is to come, who is to come into the world. Excellent. Nailed it. That is great. Okay. We're also going to need Jesus. So thanks, Bernie. You can come up. <laughs> Bernie didn't know he was going to be Jesus. <laughs> And I'm uh, going to get uh, some of my friends up. We're going to get John. Where's John? John hey. is. There's John. Round of applause for John. Thank you. And we're going to get Joash. Thank you, Joash. They both only just found out they're going to be involved in this, which makes it even more fun. And yeah, up you come. Excellent. So the way this is going to work everyone, is I'm going to tell you what to do, okay? We are familiar with a story which helps with your acting skills. Okay, so Bernie, you are Jesus. That's all you need to know. And uh, we've got the disciples, Philip and Andrew. Andrew. Excellent. Okay, Ben, I need you to hold loaves and fish. Can you do that for me? Good. <laughs> Okay, what we're going to do to tell our story is everyone is going to start off stage. That means down that way. Okay, Philip is going to come up with Jesus, and then Andrew is going to come up uh, with the boy. Okay, here is our Bible reading from John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Too far, too far, go back. <laughs> A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. <laughs> then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. <laughs> Philip, thank you. Good cue. <laughs> Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd. <laughs> they were coming towards him. Don't move. Okay, good. <laughs> so he said to Philip, now this is, this is like good lib dubbing. Watch this. 
Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. (laughs) Oh, dear, that's too much. (laughs) Another of his disciples, Andrew, this is Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. (laughs) There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. There was about 5,000 men there. Jesus took the loaves. Gave thanks. <laughs> and distributed to those who were seated. <laughs> as much as they wanted. Do you want more? <laughs> he did the same with the fish. Okay, now this is their turn. When they had all had enough to eat, mm, yummy. Jesus said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So <laughs> they gathered them. <laughs> and they filled 12 baskets. <laughs> With the pieces of the five loaves of bread and by those who had 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 so much to eat. Well done, boys. (laughs) After the people saw the sign Jesus had performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Well done, everyone. (laughs) Jesus knowing that they intended to take, come and take him king by force, withdrew to the mountain by himself. Thanks, guys. You can take a seat. Round of applause, please. (laughs) Our memory verse last week reminds us that Jesus performed many signs. Many of those weren't written in the book of John, but why did he perform these signs? So that people would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing that they would have life in his name. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of John. Thank you for this wonderful story where we get to see how Jesus fed the people. He cared for the people because he loved the people. We pray, Lord, as we continue to trust in Jesus, help us to trust in Jesus more and more. Help us to tell others about Jesus so they too may come to know Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come to give life to the world. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Morning, church. We're going to do the Bible reading this morning. The passage is taken from John chapter 6, starting from verse 16. It can be found on the Pew Bible in front of you, in page 1518. John chapter 6, starting from verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I have performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works of God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who has gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of him who sent me, that I will lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day.
next year. Uh, keep your Bibles open to John chapter 6 and keep your uh, outlines open. Uh, I'm going to try and keep uh, following along in the chapter. And there's some additional verses in the outline, so you'll need that. Uh, so make sure you have access to that. How about our leaders in prayer? And then we're going to get stuck in. Let's pray together. Father God, we give you thanks. And thank you that uh, you do. You are present with us. And Father, you, you know us so well, uh, just as you known people in the crowds back then. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, you would speak to us as you did to the crowd then. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been listening to uh, some podcasts in the past uh, couple of months, and one of the ones that I, I stumbled upon talked about the, uh, the, the way that, uh, the, the bit of a culture of what the world is like at the moment. And uh, it's moved a little, and how it's moved is that uh, the, the same question is there. The, the same question is there, that is, uh, how do you get the life that you want? How is it that you get the life that you want? How far will you go uh, to be able to get this life, the life that you've envisaged for yourself, uh, the, uh, the aims and the hopes and the dreams that you have for yourself? How will you get there? And the podcast was just saying about how the way you get there nowadays, it's moved, and what it's moved to now is that it says that if you want to get to the life that you want, then it's on you. You want to get the life that you want you want to get the dreams and the goals that you want, then you've got, all the, uh, the, you've got all the resources before you, you've got all the opportunities before you, you want it, you go get it. Which means that everybody becomes an entrepreneur of themselves. Everyone is responsible for their own, uh, for their own future. And I listen to that and I think, how exhausting. Is it not? You think that everything of life and what you're aiming to do and what you're aiming to get, it's all just placed on your lap and on your shoulders. In this chapter of John, Jesus tells us about the kind of life that only he can give. And it is in such contrast to the kind of life that we have now. Remember the reason why John's gospel was written? It's going to be a memory verse for us. So, you know, good old Stevens helped us to, uh, to, to start remembering them. Uh, it should be before you. There's a slip that, that has the, uh, the, the memory verse from John chapter 20, 30 to 31. We're going to try and memorize this as the weeks go on. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So we're going to have a look a little bit more about what life in his name means. What does it look like? Well, there's, a, there's now a crowd uh, who's following Jesus, all because, verse 2 in John chapter 6, they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. I mean, wouldn't you be following the person who's able to cure people from paralysis, who's able to, uh, to cure a person with terminal illness? They were following him because he, they saw the signs. It must have been quite a sight to see this crowd. Uh, they're following Jesus across the lake. There must be a, a number of boats that's been following along with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus reaches a mountain, and on this mountain side, he's seated, and he looks up and sees the crowd. 
And it must be that his hospitality, you know, his hospitality is kind of shining through at the moment because he looks at his disciples, he looks at the crowd, and he looks at his disciples and he says, well, where are we going to get enough bread to be able to feed all these people? And he uses, he uses this occasion in order to not only feed the people, but also to test his disciples. And they were definitely feeling the challenge. Verse 7, it says, Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Jesus, we don't even have enough money to buy hors d'oeuvres to be able to feed every single person here. And there are 5,000 men, it says in verse 10. Uh, and presumably there were women and children present as well. They're not included in the 5,000 people, so it was 5,000 people plus seating out there, just a, a few more than what we see here today, but a few more seated on the, on, on, the, uh, on the plains waiting for Jesus to feed. I wonder whether the disciples have kind of forgotten that Jesus uh, turned water into wine in chapter 2. You know, the first time that he showed his glory, he's able, he able to bring something out of nothing. Well, perhaps Andrew, Andrew remembered when he said this. So in verse 9, Andrew says... Well, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Master, I found, I found a couple of Philado fish. Look at that. Now, can you imagine the picture of the little boy's face? I mean, the boy's looking up to the disciple and to Jesus and say, "What? why are you taking my lunch? I love it how it is the only person in this story who've had enough foresight to actually pack some lunch on a long journey. Why are you taking my lunch? What Jesus does is simply breathtaking. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And you remember how Jesus could heal the paralytic just with his word, just with his voice. Well, here is Jesus praying to his father, giving thanks for the food, and he's able to produce such an extraordinary result. Thousands of people, <clears throat> more than 5,000, all you can eat fish burgers. Wow. And you can almost hear, you can almost hear that one guy, because there's always one guy in the crowd, you know, that one guy that says, Do you have any tartar sauce? Do you have any tartar sauce for this fish and bread? And just to punctuate the sufficiency of Jesus' provision here, they had pieces left over. They got doggy bags. How about that? So much abundance, so much sufficiency. Now, I don't know how you feel when you hear Jesus doing this sign. Uh, you might be a little awestruck. Uh, you might be a little curious about what all this means. I just feel hungry every time I read this, okay? Well, the crowd's response... Maybe perhaps not the response that we would have come up first. You hear the crowd's response in verse 14. It says, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And in your leaflets, <coughs> excuse me, in your leaflets in Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So in the crowd's mind, they think that God has just raised up a person like Moses to speak to them and to lead them. And they would be correct. 
Jesus could tell that they got this. But what did they end up doing? Verse 15, they decided to make him king by force. Now, it just baffles me. It baffles me that they think they could bend God's prophet to their will. Jesus won't be bent to their will. He only bends to the will of his father. So he withdraws himself. Now, I think the reference to the Passover and the prophet like Moses is a bit of a hint about why John chose this cluster of signs in this chapter. I think he's trying to show us that Jesus is indeed God's prophet, and more than that, that he is God the Son. Like We knew that from the purpose statement already. We heard last chapter that Jesus imitates his father, and here he imitates his father even in the feeding of the crowd. You see, in the Exodus, after God liberated his people from the grips of Egypt and from the Pharaoh, he fed them what? He fed them manna. He fed them bread, which is a kind, like it's a kind of bread. God the Son feeds like God the Father. He provides food for his people just like his Father. And I think the next sign is related. So let's have a look. The disciples are back in a boat. Crossing the sea this time to Capernaum, it's dark and Jesus wasn't with them and the wind, it became strong, the waters, it became rough. And then Jesus, well, he displays his glory again. Verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water and they were frightened. Extraordinary. They were already about six kilometers away from shore in deep water, and they see a figure walking towards them on water. Did you notice how the disciples reacted? With fear. I mean, would you blame them? They were already fearful at the howling winds and the waves that were rocking the boat and crashing onto its side. When in the dark, they see a figure walking along like a ghost walking towards them. Like, wouldn't you be shaking right now if you were sitting in that boat? I love Jesus' response to the disciples. You know, they're fearful, they're shaking, the boat isn't shaking, they're shaking. Jesus comes to them and just listen to, he's like the master of like the understatement. He comes up to the disciples and he says, here I am, it is I. Don't be afraid. How about that? In the original language, Jesus literally says, I am. Don't be afraid. And in the Exodus, when God sends Moses to rescue his people, how did he describe himself? Do you remember that? Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, this is in your leaflets, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, "What what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, it's totally possible that Jesus Jesus isn't intending this connection. And all he's saying here is, fellas, it's just me. It's Jesus. But I, I guess I can't help but see how after Jesus feeds the multitudes like the father in the Exodus... He describes himself in the same way as his father here. 
especially during the time of the Passover festival, where they celebrate God rescuing his people at the Exodus. Just my thoughts. Couldn't help thinking. Now, you add to this that God during the Exodus showed an authority over the sea as well. Through Moses, he said, do not be afraid. God would show the Pharaoh of Egypt that I am the Lord. This is all from Exodus 14. Through Moses, God used a strong east wind to drive the sea back. God's people walked through the sea on dry land with a wall of water on their right and on their left. God has authority over the sea. And Jesus, the prophet like Moses, says, I am. Don't be afraid. He has authority over the sea like his father. Well, the crowds, they're building with more people coming from, from Tiberias, and they realize that Jesus had disappeared, so they go looking for him in Capernaum. And when they eventually find Jesus, there's no question in Jesus' mind why they are there. Verse 26, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See, instead of following Jesus because his signs, they're showing him to be the Messiah, the Son of God, they were there. Why? Because they wanted more of the all-you-can-eat buffet. This time, I kind of wonder whether someone had the thought and foresight to bring a little bit of roast lamb. You know, like if you got sick of fish and bread. Jesus, see what you can do with this little bit of roast lamb. And just just remember the, the mint sauce, okay? Just by the way. Jesus definitely knows how to gather a crowd, and he's got them eating out of the palm of his hand. And he gets to the point of the sign that he just did. Here's the point of it all. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. You see, the bread with which they had their fill, it spoils. You know, eventually that bread, it's going to go green. It's going to get furry. It's going to get moldy. And it's going to start smelling foul. See, I'm not sure whether sourdough was a thing then, because I think if you smell some sour stuff, you don't really want to eat bread at that point. Don't keep working and chasing after Jesus for this bread that spoils. There is something better, something better. Work for food that endures to eternal life. This food, it is not going to go green. It is not going to get furry. It is not going to go moldy. This bread, it lasts and it lasts. They're coming to Jesus for the wrong kind of food. Jesus is offering food that is far superior And the Jewish crowd, right, they're getting excited because they're reminded of what God did through Moses at the Exodus. So verse 13, God gave them bread from heaven to eat. And now they're looking for a sign from Jesus. I mean, the audacity of the crowd. The audacity of the crowd. Their tummies, they were just filled with the last sign Jesus gave, and they're after another one. They're after another sign. Jesus replies that it was his father who was responsible for giving bread to their ancestors then, and he is now providing bread for them now. What is this bread? 
This bread is Jesus, verse 35. Jesus declared, I, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never, ever be thirsty. They wanted food which only filled and satiated only for a few hours. Jesus gives them food that satisfies forever. I took a little uh, lesson from uh, the little boy with the uh, loaves and two fish. And uh, what I now have in my office is a couple of cans of tuna. I don't know whether you've got a couple of cans of tuna. I think they're everywhere in everyone's pantry, right? Little cans of tuna. And something I've realized about these cans of tuna, I don't know whether you realize this, but it's got no expiry date. Have you noticed that these little cans of tuna, they don't have an expiry date? You maybe kind of wonder, does it mean that this tuna will last forever? And I thought, well, I don't know how long that's been on that shelf, but I ate it. I'm still here. It was still okay. But I did look up Google. I looked up Google and said, what does it mean that there's no expiry date on the tins of tuna? Of tuna? Well, it turns out it's not eternal. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Those tins of tuna, they kind of go off after about three or five years. right? So not even tins of tuna. Tins of tuna made from bomb shelters, they still go off. What Jesus is saying here is just so different to what the world expected, what the world was used to back then. It is still different and so extraordinary to the world that we live in now. There is no food that does not go off. Maccas, maybe. But no food that ever goes off, right? It always goes off. The only food that does not go off is the food that Jesus provides. He gives himself, and he gives life eternal. Well, the crowd, they definitely want this bread, right? So what they do is they start rolling up their sleeves, ready to work for it. Verse 28, what must we do to do the works God requires? We want this food. Well, can you imagine, can you imagine how Jesus' answer here could have been bad news for us? I mean, he could have said, he could have said, I'll give you this bread after you bake 5,000 loaves of bread. He could have said, I'll give you this bread after you catch 5,000 fish. Or worse, I'll give you this bread when you're good enough. Gee, I'm glad he didn't say that. What was Jesus' actual answer? Verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Listen to that again. Just listen to it again. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Isn't that just a relief? Roll down your sleeves. For what God requires is not your labor, your toil, your resources, your earnings. What God wants is your trust. For what is, that is what belief means. It means trusting in Jesus. It means depending on him. And what Jesus is doing here is taking two really opposite ideas and just putting them together here. The work of God is not a work at all. It is belief. 
And the word faith comes from the same root word as the word belief. They belong together. And faith is all about relying on another to provide, relying on someone else to carry, relying on someone else to strengthen. God has always only desired faith from his people. He wanted his people to know that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from his mouth. Deuteronomy 8 in your leaflets. That's the whole point of the sign. The disciples, they couldn't work to provide the bread the crowd needed. The crowd had nothing that could fill their tummies. Five pieces of bread and two fish. The crowd is supposed to look at that and say, not enough. It's nothing. How gracious is our God. How different he is from the false gods that depend on our giving. It is so different from the false gods and idols. For what they do is they demand or depend on people's work and sacrifice. Idols and false gods, they don't give the bread that satisfies. You give them the bread so they are satisfied. Every other religion is all about doing and doing and working and working and giving and giving. And Jesus just says, stop. Stop. I'll feed you. I'll feed you. We're at the pinnacle of the chapter here. The high point of Jesus' revelation of himself And here Jesus calls for people to believe in him as the Messiah. But sadly, there's a steep descent from here. For Jesus is immediately met with unbelief. And then he explains what is necessary for people to believe in the first place. Verse 37, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, But to do the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. You see, what is necessary for anyone to come to belief is for the Father to draw people to Jesus. And Jesus assures us that he will receive all the Father gives. No one is going to get lost. Indeed, verse 44, no one can come to Jesus unless the Father sends him, draws him out. Or verse 65, unless the Father enables them. Such is the pervasiveness of sin and the limitations of mankind that it takes the sovereign act of God for any belief to be present. Otherwise, left up to our own devices, We could be constantly hungry and lost to God. See, the grumbling and the disbelief that's surrounding Jesus at the moment from the crowd, it just punctuates this. It takes God sending his son to to speak to the world and his father drawing people to himself for people to come. And Jesus crystallizes then what he means by never ever being hungry or thirsty again. What does it mean to always be so satisfied? It's all about life in him. Verse 40, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him 
shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. It's not about being set for life in this present world, but being set for eternity of life in God's kingdom. The remaining verses are all about responses to Jesus. The Jews, we hear their response. Well, they take Jesus entirely literally, right? And they object, and they're rejecting Jesus. They think that, you know, Jesus is asking them to start gnawing on his arm and sipping his blood. They take him a little bit too literally. And Jesus repeats that no one has eternal life unless they feed on him. That is, unless they believe in him. There's also the disciples following Jesus. You would have thought that no one would refuse the greatest evangelist in the world, especially when they had quite literally tasted one of his signs. But they did not believe, verse 64. In verse 66, many of his disciples turned their back and no longer followed him. I guess they weren't true disciples from the beginning. They were just there to fill their tummies. Thankfully, not all the responses to Jesus was disbelief. You've got to be heartened by the response of the 12 disciples. Right? Verse 67, he says, You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So here are some who are eating bread that lasts. They believe in Jesus as God. Here is the evidence of the Father drawing people to Jesus. Sadly, even this positive response is kind of marred by one of the twelve, Judas, whom Jesus knows will betray him, the one who would eventually rather have money than the bread of life. So at the end of this, here's the question that Jesus asks us today from this passage. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Are you hungry for the bread of life? Sometimes I wonder whether I get the sense that people may not be necessarily hungry for the bread of life, but they're hungry for the bread of this life. You know, we're hoping that Jesus will bless our efforts our investments, our hopes and dreams. I hear it in the way that we pray sometimes. Father, please give me that job, that house, that partner, that open door. And there's nothing wrong with those things. They're gifts given by God. But if that's all we're drawn to Jesus for, we might as well be that crowd chasing after Jesus because we've had our fill. It's chasing after bread that spoils. When Jesus wants you to chase after the bread of life. Did you notice that Jesus giving people what they wanted, you know, the bread to the crowd? It didn't necessarily mean they were blessed with his true life. With his eternity of life. I don't think it's a surprise that we can see people today thoroughly dissatisfied with chasing after material things. Because like the crowd, the more we get, the more we want. There's never enough. People are realizing more and more, 
just that life isn't fulfilled by stuff? Are you tired of chasing after these things yet? Are you tired of it? Are you hungry for the bread of life? Do you want to know how it feels to never be hungry again and never thirsty again? Trusting in Jesus gives us this incredible satisfaction because our eternal life is secured, but it has some incredible effects today. There is such relief and freedom to let go of the things that don't last. Do you want to know how it feels? Do you know how it feels to let the crowd go by? Letting them line up and push their way through whilst you sit perfectly content and full. Do you know how it feels to know that even in the challenging times, we are fed with the bread of life? Indeed, often the way that we appreciate it more is during those challenging times. Are you hungry for the bread of life? If you are hungry, then come to Jesus for food. You know, whenever you go to someone's home, you know, you've been invited to their home for a meal, for lunch, for dinner, and you never go, you never go empty-handed, right? You go there with some, a token or something, some fruit, some chocks, you know, some cans of tuna. You, you, go, you go, and it's, it's in order just to be able to be of a token of thanks to the host. And here is Jesus He's the ultimate of hosts, right? And he says, you don't need to bring anything. No, we, we actually have enough food. We have an abundance of food. You don't need to bring anything. Just come as you are. It's warm. And trust me, you're going to get satisfied. The life he gives is on him. He provides it graciously. He provides it lovingly. What God wants in our response is our trust. Sometimes I hear people say something like, I hope, I hope Jesus is pleased with what I do or what I give or I need to get my life in order for him uh, before I can kind of come before him and... You know, God knows that we fail. And he knows that we are not perfect. That's why the Father provides Jesus as the bread of life. And he doesn't give us just baking instructions. You know, he doesn't just give us a piece of paper and say, you bake your own bread. <laughs> he gives the bread of life. Did you notice who's doing all the work and all the actions, who takes all the initiative in this chapter? It's God. Isn't it? It's Jesus. Presenting himself to a crowd that is lost so that they can have the bread of life. I reckon the most appropriate response to Jesus after reading a chapter like that is praise. Is it not? It's praise. It's giving thanks to God for who he is 
It's praising him for his character. It's delighting in him for his provisions in life. How about we pray together? Father, we live in this world and it is suffocating. It is relentless. It never ends. And Father, we give you praise that you sent Jesus. We give you praise that he is powerful, that he is sovereign, that he, is, he has the authority over all things on this earth. But above all, we thank you that Jesus is the bread of life. That he gives us eternal life. And Father, you see our hands. They are dirty. They are sullied. They are empty. What else can we bring before you? But Father, we thank you that you are the perfect host. And Jesus calls us to come and to rest in him. Father, we just want to praise you. Help us to see how nourishing and sufficient your life is and enable us to believe in Jesus all our days. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.